Second Peter chapter 1. Periodically, we hear of some person who's living like a pauper, even though they have been made heir to a, a vast fortune. They live in poverty because they don't know that someone wanted them to be well taken care of materially. Sadly, some believers are in a similar situation spiritually. The Bible tells us that God wants us to have forgiveness of sin. He wants us to have eternal life and a right relationship with Him. He wants that for us so badly that He became man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and died for our sin on Calvary's cross. He makes such a glorious spiritual condition available to us by His grace and calls, upon, calls us into such condition through a response of repentance towards sin and faith in Jesus Christ. God also wants us to be sure that we are right with Him. He wants us to know for certain that we wear His righteousness. He wants us to have a, a certainty that we're going to heaven when we leave this world. He wants us to have a no-so salvation. He wants us to be like David, when David could declare in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And he knew that God was his shepherd. He knew he had a relationship with God. He wants that for us. He wants us to have that kind of certainty, that kind of assurance about our spiritual condition. He wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are right with God, that we wear His righteousness. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. How great it is to know before we leave this world that we are going to spend eternity with Christ. How good it is to know today. If we didn't find out until after we die, that would be a little bit late. I went round and round with a fellow that lived in the town that I pastored in out in Iowa, and he would tell me repeatedly, you can't know where you're going when you leave this world until after you die. And I'd say to him, I, well, that's just going to be a little bit late. And God wants us to be able to know beforehand, and he's made it possible for us to know beforehand. And what a tremendous blessing that is. Salvation is all of grace and is fully based upon what God has done for us so that he should receive all the praise and all the glory and thanksgiving for saving us. However, the Bible is also full of exhortations to us, which we are responsible to obey. We're called upon to repent of our sin, put our faith in Jesus. And when it comes to our assurance, knowing where we're at spiritually, we're called upon in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 to be even more diligent to make our calling and election sure. To make sure we're saved. That's what Peter's saying to these readers. Make sure you're saved. Not, not, not in a proud fashion, 
but in a grateful fashion, to be sure of, of what God has done for us. And the exhortation about making sure that we're right with God is, is found in a context where Peter is writing about two things that God expects of us when we become followers of Jesus Christ. If you become a real believer, you, you should have spiritual advancement going on in your life. And we should also have assurance of salvation. God desires those two things for us. Well, we find that this is in a, a context where he's talked about four tremendous gifts that we've been given. Precious faith, like that of the, the apostles that saved them. Uh, grace and peace. All things that we need for life and godliness, God's made available to us. And he's also given us exceedingly great and precious promises as far as being able to, to be right with him and know that our sin's forgiven, knowing where we're going to spend eternity. Uh, we find that when, in this matter of spiritual advancement that we talked about last week, it's uh, connecting our work with God's. God has expectations of us. We're to give all diligence to add to our faith uh, some of the qualities that really are qualities of Christ. Uh, there are some that say, well, you just kind of get saved and just wait to go to heaven and, and that's it. Some people say, well, you just kind of get saved and you just let go and, and let God do whatever he wants to in your life. Well, God tells us some things that he wants us to do, things we are responsible for, to put effort forth in those areas. And we're to add to our faith virtue and, and add to our virtue knowledge, and we're to add self-control to our lives and perseverance and godliness. Uh, people that are in God's family should be like God, amen? And God expects us to be growing in godliness. We should be characterized by brotherly kindness, brotherly love. And even beyond that, we should be people that are characterized by agape love, love that comes from the will, love that is, is action love, love that is unconditional love, love that takes the initiative. Those things should be part of our life. And when they are, man, that's a great thing. It, it keeps us from being barren and unfruitful. And God, if you're saved, God's left you in this world. He didn't take you to heaven because he wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to model Christ to an ungodly world. He wants you to touch the lives of other people. God wants us to produce fruit. And, and if these qualities are showing up in our lives, we're going to produce fruit. We're not going to be barren. We grow in our relationship with the Lord. We demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and these marks, by the way, are marks of being a genuine believer. When we have physical life, there's evidence for that. I saw the doctor this last week, and they wanted to make sure I was alive. So they took my pulse, they took my blood pressure, they listened to my lungs, and thank the Lord, my heart was still beating, my lungs were still breathing, and, and I evidence that I was alive. There's also evidence of spiritual life, and it's becoming Christ-like. I'm not talking sinless perfection, because we're not going to achieve that until we're glorified. But we certainly should be growing in that area, and there should be some marks of godliness that show up in our lives, and we should be characterized by a desire to be that kind of person, to be like Christ. When these virtues aren't there, that's a serious matter. When there isn't any evidence of spiritual life, when we go through a period maybe where they're not showing up, we're spiritually short-sighted, nearsighted, even to the point of blindness. Uh, people live like they're, they're forgetting that they, uh, Christ cleansed them from their sin. 
and it shows a real problem spiritually. And if there, there isn't evidence there, it may well be that there is no real faith. And as Peter mentions that in, in verse 9 here, then he goes on in verse 10, and he gives us the exhortation that we looked at here. He says to people then, you know, think about whether you're advancing spiritually, and, and one of the things you need to do is you need to make sure of your salvation. You need to make sure of your calling and your election. You need to make sure that you're saved. Because God wants us to know that we're saved. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. And so this is a pretty serious exhortation. And uh, what we find that when it comes to this matter of, of assurance and, and security, we were talking about this as briefly last Sunday morning, for any believer that genuinely comes to know Christ, we have a security in Christ. He has promised us what kind of life? Eternal life. And he has said that we will never perish. He has said that no one will pluck us out of his hand. He said that we'll be his sheep and we will follow him. So that if you genuinely know Christ as your Savior, you've got security in Christ. Uh, we'll enjoy the perseverance of the saints, the preservation of the saints. What a blessing that is. When it comes to assurance, it's something different. In fact, people can fluctuate. Security is something that, that's fixed and it's unchanging when a person genuinely comes to know Christ. There, there are Christians walking around, maybe some sitting in this auditorium this morning, and you've you got doubts. Do I really know the Lord? You've been talking about being sure of your salvation, and you may be having doubts about that. I don't know whether I'm really saved. I'm not sure. Well, why not? You know, we talk, we'll talk some more about that. But a, a person can be assured one day, and, and another day they're kind of doubting about it, maybe because of false teaching. Maybe because of some things that uh, come into their life and it causes them to doubt. Sadly, people can even have a false assurance when they don't really have security. By believing on the wrong, believing in the wrong thing is a basis for salvation. I've talked to people that are just convinced that keeping the Ten Commandments is going to get them into heaven, and they're sure that they have. You talk about a false assurance. Man, that's way off base, right? Well, sadly, you can have a false assurance. But there's such a thing as a true assurance. And we find that it has to do with, with uh, having, first of all, saving faith. And then it has with demonstrating Christ-like qualities in our life. And we, that brings us, even when we look at this matter of making our calling and election sure, we need to talk a little bit this morning about God's working and our responsibility. Salvation involves both. And there are a number of passages of Scripture that we want to look at when it comes to that this morning. And uh, we want to get to that one, but not quite yet. First of all, uh, we find that when it, we talk about calling an election, we find Ephesians 1.4 tells us that God chose us. Any person is a genuine believer. They've been chosen from before the foundation of the world. Pretty amazing thing, huh? We uh, read in Romans chapter 8, People are familiar with Romans 8, 28, where it talks to us about the fact that we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. There's that word calling there. And he goes on, and, and we find a real demonstration of, of how God works all things together for good 
in the next verse. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? What you have, folks, in that passage is the unbreakable chain of salvation that goes from calling uh, clear through to justification to, to glorification. It's an unbreakable chain of, of what God did and your salvation. You know Christ here this morning. Does, do all things really work together for good? <laughs> for the person that loves God, who's called according to Boy, that's for sure. In fact, if you're a Christian this morning, you know where you're headed? You're headed for glorification. You know what glorification is? That's to be completely like Jesus. That's no more sin nature. That's uh, for our bodies. That's to have a glorified resurrection body like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what God has in store for those that genuinely know Christ the Savior. When it comes to this matter of God's work and ours, here's a very helpful passage back in, in 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, it says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning, what? Chose you for salvation. Some people say, well, I don't believe in election. I don't believe people choose, God chooses people for salvation. Don't argue with me. This is God's word. What's it say? It says he chose you for salvation. We may not understand election completely, but man, we certainly shouldn't deny it because it's scriptural. Taught in God's word. He chose you for salvation. Make sure you don't stop there, though. He chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. God not only ordains the end, He also ordains the means. And how do you get saved? You get saved when the Spirit of God works in your heart and your life, and you believe. You put your trust in Christ. And it goes on further and says, to which he called you. God chooses us, God calls us, by which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had to go to Thessalonica, and he had to preach the gospel so that those people would be called to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this, this uh, dichotomy, seeming paradox, come up in, in other passages of Scripture. In Philippians 2.12, we're told, the, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, what's it say? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with real reverence to God. Well, what's that talking about? One thing we know it's not talking about is somehow doing enough so that we can get saved by our own works. How do we know that? Because the overall teaching of Scripture runs in directly contrary to that. What's the Bible say? It's by grace that we're saved through faith. That not of ourselves is a gift of God, not of what? Not of works, lest any man should boast. We're told in Titus that it's that uh, God by his mercy has given us his righteousness. And we're not saved by works of righteousness that we've done, but by, but by God's mercy. So what's it talking about there? Well, it's talking about showing up on the outside 
the work that God is doing on the inside. God does the work of salvation, and we we work it, we work it out, we show it on the outside by our obedience to the Lord. We see in, in Philippians 1, he says, uh, Paul says, I'm being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What's it saying there? It says, God began a work in you, and guess what? He's going to complete it. He began the work, he's going to complete it. But there in the second chapter, it says, Work out your own salvation. Well, that's what we're responsible for, to work it out. So, what we see in Scripture, God's work in salvation is spilled out, spelled out for us, and we ought to just praise Him for that and thank Him for that. And we may not understand it absolutely perfectly. In fact, you know what? If I could understand everything about an infinite God with my finite mind, there's something wrong, right? You see, the problem, we don't understand something about God or God's working. The problem's not with God. Where's the problem? Where are the limitations? They're with me. They're with you. We got the limitations. It comes to God's work. God's work. The, the Bible teaches clearly. He loves us before the foundation of the world. And he chooses believers before the foundation of the world. He sends the Spirit of God to do a work in us and even open our hearts. He calls us. He calls us by the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the message that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. The gospel includes the fact that Christ rose again on the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel, the good news. Somebody's died for your sin, Jesus. That's the good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. Jesus died to be our Savior. So there's got to be the preaching, preaching of the gospel. Our responsibility is to, first of all, genuinely believe that gospel and trust Jesus to save us. We've got to believe the gospel. We've got to believe that we are our sinners. And we've got to believe that, that that's really a problem. Now, I don't generally, when I try to share the gospel with people, I don't generally have people, any trouble with people agreeing that they're sinners. Have you experienced that? In fact, as I tell you this morning, who here's a sinner? You've got some liars, too, that don't want to put their hands up. Or some people that are confused. We're all sinners. But unfortunately, there's a lot of folks don't see that as a real problem. Everybody's sinners. It's not a big deal. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says sin's a big deal. The Bible says when we disobey God, that's a big deal. Was it a big deal for Adam and Eve in the garden? You bet it was. Yeah, sin is a big deal. In fact, what's it say in Scripture? It says the wages of sin is what? Death. Thank God the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the wages of sin is death. Physical death spiritual death, and, and if nothing happens while we're on this earth to change it, eventually eternal death. And spiritual death and eternal death have to do with being separated from God, having no relationship with Him, and in eternity it's being separated from God for all of eternity in the lake of fire. Is that a problem? Now, I think there's a lot of people who think bankruptcy is a whole lot more of a problem than sin is. 
I think there's a lot of people who think disobedience to God just isn't that big a deal because everybody does it. But you know what? Everybody's in trouble. Everybody's in trouble, except that Jesus came. Sin is such a big issue that God the Son got up off the throne of glory, came into this world as a, a, an infant conceived by a virgin in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and, and became a man and, and came for the sole purpose of dying. Why? For our sins. What's the Bible say? Christ Jesus came into this world. Why? To save who? Sinners. Sin's a real problem. Sin's a real The big thing is, before we can get people saved, we've got to get people lost. People have to recognize they're lost. I think people sing that great song, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Sadly, a lot of folks don't realize that they really are lost. They've been lost, so they don't get found. Our responsibility, we need to genuinely believe the gospel, that part that we're sinners. And thank God, it doesn't just stop there and tell us we're sinners and what the wages of sin is, but it also goes on and tells us what the gift of God is. And it tells us that God's made provision for our sin. We've got to believe that. And then we need to put our trust in Jesus to save us. Now, if you're here this morning and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you know you're a sinner. And I, I hope maybe even looking at the Scriptures convinces you that you're, you're really in spiritual trouble and you're headed for an eternal hell. Don't worry about calling. Don't worry about election. Don't worry about what God's done before the foundation of the world. You just know this, Jesus died for your sin. And he commands you today to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You start right there. And if you'll do that, if you'll pray to the Lord and tell Christ, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I deserve an eternal hell, but I thank you that Jesus that you died for me on the cross, and I now want to repent of my sin, I want to take you to be my Savior. You know what? If you say that with a true heart, a genuine heart, and you really mean, you know what? God will save you. God will give you eternal life. But you're responsible to call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will what? Will be saved. But we've got to call on the name of the Lord. Once we call upon the name of the Lord, we're, then we're also responsible to bear fruit. God wants us to bear fruit. Every believer bears some fruit. In the parable of the, the sowing of the seed on the different kinds of soil, there's only one kind of soil where, where, the seed really where, where the sowing of the seed really represents a genuine salvation, and that's where there is fruit. It says the seed went on to the good ground, and, and fruit came, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. You know what it's teaching there? It teaches every believer, if you really know Christ, you're going to have some desire to be like Jesus. You're going to show some Christ-likeness in your life. It's going to happen. That maybe to differing degrees, there'll be different amounts of fruit, different kinds of fruit, but there's going to be fruit. Got to be fruit. And then when it comes also to this matter of reaching people with the gospel, the gospel's got to be preached. We got to tell people about Christ. We're responsible for that. Carol Spurgeon said, if, he, if everybody, if God put a yellow stripe down the back of everybody that was elect before the foundation of the world, He'd go around London lifting up coattails, looking for the yellow stripe. But he said, since God didn't do that, he just shares Jesus with everybody. 
you know what? That's not a bad philosophy. Who should we share Jesus with? Who should we share the gospel with? Well, who's God bringing across your path? You know, the other thing about this, this matter of bearing fruit and showing that we really know Christ, when we bear fruit, it has an impact on our entrance into heaven. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. Keep you walking faithfully for the Lord. And it says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's talking about going to heaven. It's talking about the kind of entrance that we might have there. And when it's talking about the kind of an entrance we might have, he's, the, the terminology here is taken from, uh, once again, the Greek Olympic Games. And when somebody was a, a, a victor, in the Greek Olympic Games, and they came back to their own city and word had preceded them about their victory, man, did they get a welcome home. In fact, there were occasions where they didn't just bring them in through the biggest city gate. They actually knocked a hole in the wall to bring them in through there. It was a, a tremendous entrance into the city. We do the same thing today. You know, if the... Uh, if the Tigers ever do win the World Series again, or hope, beyond hope almost, if the Lions ever win the Super Bowl, what kind of an entrance are those teams going to have when they come back to Detroit? Man, there'll be ticker tape parades, there'll be fire trucks with sirens. They'll get a real welcome home, won't they? Sometimes that even happens on a smaller scale. A high school team wins a a state championship, what happens? Man, they come back to town, somebody goes out and meets the school buses they're riding on, fire trucks come ahead, and man, do they get a welcome, huh? Well, that's what, that's what Peter's talking about. He says, you know what, we can have that kind of entrance into heaven. Just think about that. Celebration is the, the Lord welcomes us home. Now, he'll welcome us all home. Well, the Bible says that precious in the sight of the Lord is the the death of his saints, because God gets to welcome us home. You know what? Every believer, every, every genuine person is going to go to heaven. But the Bible teaches very clearly there's degrees of reward. And there can be loss of reward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that, that's taught as well. That, and Paul says you need to be building on the foundation of Christ and, and building properly. And he says some are going to build wood, hay, stubble, and and that's not going to amount to anything in, in eternity's value system. And people will go to heaven. He says, that, that man will be saved, but as by fire. And done a whole lot to serve the Lord. Gone through some periods where, where, where he's not been looking like Christ the way that he should. Talks about people that could be saved, but as by fire. It's like if, if you get a fire at your house, middle of the night, smoke alarm goes off. You see flames, you smell smoke, all that stuff. And you get up and you manage to get out. Maybe you go out the window. You get your family out. You get out. But, man, everything else burned up. It's gone. Don't have it anymore. That's basically what people, you know, the Bible talks about sending tre laying treasures up in heaven. God talks about sending things on ahead. It talks about uh, eternal rewards. There's some Christians, sadly, not really living for the Lord the way that they should. Not producing the kind of fruit the Lord would have them to produce. They're not that 
concerned about doing the things necessary that would produ help produce that fruit. In fact, in, in 1 John, it says in, in chapter 2 and verse 28, John says that we should be looking for the Lord to come back and we should be living in such a way that we won't be ashamed before Jesus at his coming. I've used this illustration before, but it's the best one I can think of that connects with this. My dad used to give me work to do sometimes. When he'd, when he'd go off to work, I had chores I was supposed to take care of. And when I was uh, you know, faithful and did it all, got it all taken care of, I was excited for my dad to get home from work. On the other hand, if I went off and played ball, I went off and played, went swimming, I went off and just fiddled around with the guys in the neighborhood, and I came home. I didn't have it done. And I kind of hoped my dad might work a little overtime that night. <laughs> but when I'd see him, I wasn't worried about being kicked out of the family. But you know what? I was concerned about disappointing my dad. Are you concerned about disappointing your Savior? Are you, are you concerned at all about disappointing the one who gave his life for you on the cross of Calvary? I hope you're living in such a way that you really want to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. You know, if you're here this morning and never put your faith in Christ, I would plead with you, repent of your sins, surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ today. And there'd be a few like that. Man, I, I mean it. You can pray to the Lord right where you're at. He'll hear you. If you need to let somebody know if you do that, if you need to talk to somebody more about that, I'd be happy to take the time. Pastor Mark, Pastor Chris, anybody around you probably, be glad to help sit down with you and talk with you a little bit about that. More likely, we got folks here that uh, we say we put our faith in Christ and we're trusting him today. But what's our character and our behavior? say about the condition of our faith are we adding to our faith are we producing spiritual fruit here's the biggie are you sure of your salvation this morning and if you're not sure that's truly important of an issue to have any doubts about man it has to do with your eternity and the fact of the matter is we don't even know if we have another five minutes in this world you and I are one breath away from eternity one heartbeat away stepping out of this world and then my last question to you what kind of an entrance into heaven are you going to have and, and not just thinking about you know the parade when we get there or anything like that but more than anything else think about seeing Jesus face to face what's it going to be like are, are you really expecting to hear him say well done good and faithful servant we're afraid you're going to have to stand there and hang your head in shame because of the way you're living right now. now. Not how you lived five days ago. Not how you lived a year ago. But how you're living right now. Are we living for Christ today? Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to have a no-soul salvation. Thank you we don't have to wonder about our eternal destiny because of what you've done for us through the Lord Jesus on the cross at Calvary. And also what you continue to do in us Lord, we are, are conscious of the fact today that any fruit we produce is because you work in us. We, we shouldn't be proud of anything. We certainly be grateful. Lord, I pray that you, if there's anybody with us that doesn't know Christ, you would speak to their heart this morning, maybe even put their trust in 
him today. And that for Christians who are walking in fellowship with you, Lord, help them to just look and look with, with great anticipation towards seeing Jesus face to face. And then for people that may not be sure, Lord, I pray that you would continue to trouble them until they come to a place of blessed assurance. Thank you for that assurance we can have. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you sing with me as we close this morning? 345. Great Fanny Crosby song. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of his spirit. Washed in his blood. Do you know that? True about yourself today? If you don't, we'd be happy to talk with you further about that. Encourage you to make sure this morning. Stand together while we sing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.